Well, if you have your Bibles, would you turn over to Titus chapter 1? That's the New Testament book of Titus. In case you didn't know, all of the T's in the New Testament are together. All of the T's, 1st and 2nd Timothy, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and Titus. What we're going to see today with the time we have is Titus was given a unique assignment. Matter of fact, it was a reactionary assignment. A reactionary assignment. He and Paul had spent time on the island of Crete sometime in the first century, perhaps in the late 50s or early 60s. And they were helping establish the church on the island. Various churches met in homes throughout the island of Crete. And while they were there for an unspecified amount of time, um, there was something that motivated Paul to encourage Titus. He had some work to do. Titus reacted to a situation that was occurring on the island. And what was that situation? Well, we'll read it in a moment. What was going on is that there was a crop of bad teachers who were beginning to bud and blossom on the island. And so as they were rising up and going into households where the church met in houses, they were spreading poison through bad teaching and they were leading God's people astray. And so a countermeasure that Paul had said to Titus was, now it's time to find good leaders, elders, for these house churches, for the church on the island of Crete, because these bad leaders, Jew and Gentile, had begun to pop up, and they were teaching bad things to the people. So rather than praying with the people, these folks were praying on the people. Rather than feeding the flock, these guys were fleecing the flock. And so Paul said to Titus, it's time. You've got to now counter that with good leaders because they are out there. As a matter of fact, look quickly at chapter 1, verse 10. It says, for there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. Stop and pause. The circumcision speaks of Jewish people. So when he says, especially those, that doesn't mean only those. Because as we'll see in a moment, there were uh, Cretans who were also taking advantage of the people as well. So where there are sheep, there will always be wolves. And we have to remember that. And wolves will smile at in your face all the time. They won't take your place. Them backstabbers. How did the OJs get into this sermon? But there are always people out like that. And so sometimes rather than having a pastor, you have a predator. Sometimes rather than having an elder, you have an evil man. And sometimes rather than having a bishop, you have someone who's belligerent. So you got to watch. you got to test the spirits. 
As much as we test spirits of people who come in, according to 1 Timothy, 1 John chapter 4, test the spirits of people because we don't want no wolves trying to get up in the house. So as elders, shepherds, we're always trying to discern who you are and where you come from. But you also have to test who we are to make sure that we're not putting a little bit of rat poison in the word of God or that we're not trying to take people and use them for selfish motivation. So we have to test folk in this day and age. So in verse 11, it says, these folks' mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households. So again, think church. Church is men in the house. They're, they're subverting the church. They're teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. So there it is. That love of money is the root to all kinds of evil. And so they're in there trying to take advantage of people. Verse 12 says, one of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And so not only were Jewish people taking advantage of the folk, Jews and Gentiles, but there were Gentiles taking advantage of Jews and Gentiles in the body of Christ. Because um, taking advantage of people um, it doesn't discriminate. Because the heart of man is evil. And so um, there were Cretans who were taking advantage of people through money, taking money from people because they had a testimony, a reputation of being lazy. People who were liars, people who were lazy gluttons, evil brutes. And so in verse 13, Paul said this testimony is true. What one of their own prophets said about their own people is true. And they're using the ministry to take advantage of people. And so Paul says rebuke them sharply. Rebuke them. That they may be sound in the faith. Because right now they're not sound. So he's saying they're still salvageable. They may be good people with bad teaching. Or they may be false teachers with bad teaching. We don't know. But, but man, rebuke them. Love them with the truth. Then he says in verse 14, not giving heed to Jewish fables. So Jewish people were telling fables, telling stories. And sometimes people would be more tempted to go towards a fable than the truth. Reminds me of Mormonism. Reminds me of the Jehovah's Witness cult, that people would rather get into a fable, a story, something that somebody made up, as opposed to the truth of the gospel. But he says here, these commandments of men, they turn from the truth. So commandments of men speaks of legalistic things that they put on people. So one of the ways you know a false teacher is that they take you away from the grace of the gospel that's found in Jesus and they want to give you rules that they've made up. They, they want you to abide by what they say. It's their commandments, not so much the commandments of our God who said love one another. So they have all these rules and rituals and some of us come from churches like that where it's more about what the pastor says than what the Bible says. It's more about what the denomination teaches than about what the Bible truly teaches. And if you are a sheep that is not trying to be discerning, man, you can be led into some bad pastures by some bad pastors. And so you have to be discerning. And then it says here in verse 15, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. And so these guys were on the island, taking advantage of God's people. And so we see that there was a countermeasure to combat the bad teachers Let's come up with some good teachers 
called elders, good leaders called elders. And look at chapter 1, verse 5 now. He says, for this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent. Here it is, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict So there you see, this is what we're to aim for, these kind of leaders as opposed to those kinds of leaders. So who is this message for today? Well, this message is for current elders, bishops and pastors like myself and my guys. Um, This is a good reminder um, for where we need to be in the Lord and how we ought to serve you and what kind of model we're to present before you as men of God who say, follow me as we follow Christ. Um, But it's also a message to future elders, guys who God may be stirring on your heart saying, you know what, I desire to do that with Pastor Chris and Pastor Daryl and Pastor John, Elder Tyler, Elder Gary, um, Elder Aubrey, Elder Clifton. I want to be a part of that with those guys. We said last week, even if you qualify to be an elder, that doesn't mean you should be an elder because every sharp guy or every guy who meets the qualifications doesn't necessarily have to be an elder. You can be a leader in the church without being one of the ones who leads the church. But for some of us, there's this thing like, man, I, I want to do that. I, feel, I have a, a calling in my life, maybe even to preach, to be a minister, ordained. Man, I want to look into that. So this message is for folks like me. Let's check the oil, Pastor Chris. Let's get in here, man. How are we doing with some of these things? Because it's good to to always get a checkup. But it's also for guys who may want to join the team. Okay? So you listen as well. But then finally, it's for everybody. Because you may tune me off and change the station and say, he talking about elders and pastors. I don't have time for that. But the Bible says, as we learned last week, that every Christian is called to be blameless, not just pastors and elders and bishops. All of us are called to be blameless. So what does it mean to be blameless? Well, we learned in review that it comes from a word that means you can't lay anything to the account of. In other words, you can't call them in on charges. You can't call them out on charges. Or if you do call an elder in or out on charges, these charges prove not to be legitimate. And so it's it's living a life above reproach that, that people can't lay something against your account. They can't charge you with something. They can't call you out on something to the point where it would be detrimental to your ministry and to the name of Jesus Christ. An elder is not perfect. No man is perfect. But we are called to be holy. We are called to be godly. We are called to press towards the mark. We are called to be examples, upright ministers of the gospel. And so in the church, there's to be a standard of holiness Um, And so elders and leaders, we are to help set that temperature in the church by how we live. Hebrews 13 says, uh, imitate those who lead you. And so we are to have a kind of lifestyle that's worthy of being imitated. Now, if a charge on an elder proves to be true, if someone brings forth a charge, 
and it is true. What happens to the elder? Now, this is not on the screen, but turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Sometimes I just like to hear the pages turn. I've spoiled some of you by always putting the scriptures on the screen. So you've gotten out of shape. Some of you don't even want to bring your Bible. You better bring it, because every now and then I'll do this. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Oh, I like to hear pages turning, because my ear thing is starting to work. I'm starting to hear. I'm starting to hear. It's starting to hear. But sometimes it tunes out when my wife is giving me commands. Sometimes it's just Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. Paul said to another young minister over the area of Ephesus, he said, let the elders, see the plurality, who rule well, be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. So there's some of us who, you know, that's our piece, man. We, we especially labor in doctrine because this is our full-time gig. It's hard for Elder Tyler, while he's making runs at Vanderbilt and, and checking on children, to labor in word and in doctrine. It's tough for Elder Clifton when he's working with homeless families. It's tough for Aubrey when he's working with his business. Tough for Gary when he's helping clients manage their resources for them to then dig and study and get deep into the word. That's what Pastor John, Pastor Darrell, and I do because we are full time in this. Which goes into the next verse. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. So man, and pastors are likened to oxen. Hmm, okay, I couldn't come up with a better illustration, Holy Spirit. Anyway, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Here it is. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Why? Why is he saying two or three? Because we have to protect the reputation of the elder. If people could just pop up with accusations against the elder, we're not talking about preferences. You don't like the fact that he's wearing shorts while he's preaching. That's not a sin. That's a preference. <laughs> and shoes that has his name on them. These, you've got to understand, what, this shoe says pastor, this shoe says Chris. That's cool. <laughs> but for some of y'all, y'all offended by that. But, but that's not a sin. That's a preference. So you want to be careful. You just can't have people charging at the elder because you don't want to lower the, the reverence for the position. So even if you don't like the guy in the position, at least respect the position. Like David said, I won't reach my hand against God's anointed. Although Saul is trying to kill me, I respect the office. So we can't have people just sprouting up. But it's got to be two or three witnesses to give legitimacy to the charge. Then it says in verse 20, those who are sinning, elder sin. Rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. In other words, an elder is not above getting called out or called in when it's legitimate, getting rebuked. And so who is to do that? I'll talk about that in a moment. It says, uh, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. So don't treat the elder, the pastor any differently than you would treat one of the members. Hmm. You see that? Now, we don't always see this today. As a matter of fact, it takes integrity to preach on integrity. Integrity is another word for the word blameless. And my wife was telling me the other day, she said, you know, we hear more sermons today about walking in your destiny than about walking with integrity. We hear more of that kind of stuff because it takes integrity to preach on integrity because front row is a lady that I live with and I never ever want her pursing her lips while I'm preaching saying, mm, he don't live like that. 
I never want my kids to miss Jesus because they see a, a huge hypocrite in their father. So they tune off the things of the Lord because they don't see it at home. So you've got to have integrity to talk about integrity. And I guess that's why a lot of pulpits are silent on these kind of topics. Because a lot of these cats can't, cats can't preach these passages. They preach around this stuff. But they don't want to preach this stuff because they know folk can call them out. But here's the thing. When you have a preacher who's living shabby. It lowers the standard of holiness in the church where it makes it acceptable for the parishioners to live raggedy like the pastor. So when the pastor isn't, you know, uh, pressing towards godliness, he's accepting uh, all kinds of compromise. Then if you're looking for compromise, that's the kind of church you're looking for. But if you're not wanting, if you're wanting to be challenged and called up into holiness and godliness, man, you're looking for leadership that reflects that as well. Mm, Oh, yeah, this is good stuff. So let's run through it real quick. Let's go back over to Titus. I'm going to hit it, man. Hit it, Pastor. I heard that. Praise the Lord. Now, from the text we just read, it's similar to what you see in 1 Timothy chapter 3. When he talks about the qualifications of a pastor, an elder, a bishop. Now, last week we said, because blameless is mentioned twice in Titus, it's mentioned once in 1 Timothy 3. That must be the foremost quality and characteristic that a church leader is supposed to have, blameless. Uh, because as we'll see, when you're blameless, everything else falls in place. When you have a character that is impeccable, when you have a character that strives to be like Christ, then it will show up in other areas in your life. It's kind of like the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5 when it says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, on and on. Technically, the fruit of the spirit is love. And out of love comes joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. Because love is the chief thing. Get love. Hang everything on love. And so blameless, everything. Hang everything on being blameless. So when a man is blameless, he will be blameless in his marriage He will be blameless in his parenting. He will be blameless in his attitude. He'll be blameless in his actions. He'll be blameless in his doctrine. And he'll be blameless in his ministry. So he's not first and foremost starting with ministry. No, he's starting with his character as he walks with God. As God is calling him to holiness. And out of that blameless character comes these proofs in his marriage, in his parenting in his attitude, in his actions, in his doctrine, and in his ministry. So let's hit two of them today, or maybe one. We'll see what the time. But let's talk about an elder has to be blameless in his marriage. Let the church say amen. Isn't it tough growing up in a home when your mom and dad are fighting when you don't see a good model of marriage in your home and maybe there's been a divorce or multiple divorces, it's tough on a child to see that because when a child doesn't have security because mom and dad are together, it, 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 it challenges the child's development. And so how much more in a church house should a pastor be blameless and have a right relationship with his wife? 
Because when that is in line, it, it creates a level again of security, of being stable. But if the pastor is shaky in his relationship with his wife, then shakiness trickles down and an uneasiness and a spirit of compromise trickles down to the church. And so a pastor, an elder, a bishop, not only those on staff, but also those who work outside the church, our marriages are to be a model uh, that you should follow. Because if your marriage is struggling and every marriage struggles, you want to be able to talk to people who have been through similar struggles but found hope and grace and truth and power through Jesus to make it so that it gives you hope when they counsel with you. But if you go see a pastor who you know is sleeping with women in the church, if you know has children outside, you know, he didn't cheated and, and he got kids around town and, you know, and he's beating his wife or abusive to his wife, what can he tell you to help you in your marriage? But again, unless you want to live like that, man, that's your pastor. And so that's why we shouldn't, many shouldn't ascribe for this, James 3.1, because we're under stricter judgment. Judgment from God, but also judgment from the people. They're watching our lives. We don't live for the people, but we know the people are watching. We live for the Lord. But when a man is walking because he has a desire to be holy as God is holy, it's going to show up in things like his marriage. Oh boy, here we go. So it says in verse Six, if a man is blameless, the husband of one wife. Oh, yeah, we're not going to get no further than this one today. (laughs) What does that mean? I've read a lot of books and commentaries, and a lot of people have different views on this. Here's what I think it means. Simply, husband of one wife means he's a one-woman man. He's a one-woman man, implying that he's not a two-woman man or a three-woman man. He is the husband of one wife, not two, not three, not four. He's the husband of one wife and not a wife and a mistress or a girlfriend on the side. So it speaks of the fact that he's married to a woman and he's crazy about her. And truth be told, if you're really loving a woman, well, women have so many complexities about them. Uh, They're going to demand all of your attention, time, effort, energy, money, everything. (laughs) But it's the players that's trying to keep a few, you know. So a pastor can't be a pimp or a player. That's the ebonic breakdown of (laughs) Titus chapter 1. Husband of one wife, dude can't be a pimp or a player. And we know that there have been many pastors who have been pimps and players. Mm, mm, mm. Thank you, Randall. I appreciate it. I can hear you, brother. (laughs) You know, I've been invited to come over to Nairobi and to talk to many of the African leaders there. And in that culture, before men get saved, or even after they get saved, many of them have multiple wives. That's part of the culture. But now here's the kingdom coming into a dark place. There's some light there, but more light is coming. And what do you say to men who want to be pastors, but they have a harem or they have multiple wives? You don't change the word for them. They must change for the word or they don't qualify for this office. 
So we don't lower the standard to make people feel better. So we have to keep the standard. Husband of one wife. So a pastor can't be a flirt either. You should be able to come to church knowing that your wife, daughters, and even today, now your sons are safe in the presence of your pastor. You shouldn't have to question a pastor or an elder's integrity with around your wife. If he is counseling with your wife or whatever is in the same sphere around with your children, you shouldn't have to wonder what his character is like in those times. But there are some men, as you know, you can't entrust your wife and your children around them. And yet some of these people aspire towards the pulpit. These cats haven't even been pulled out the pit yet, and they're trying to stand up in the pulpit. That's why you got to test the spirit, because you're going to listen not only to what I say, but you're going to watch how I live. And if this lady doesn't have a smile on her face when you see her, it's calling into question what I'm doing at home. And if I can't do it at home in my house, why should I try to come up in here and lead in God's house? I'm not qualified. So that brings up the question, if uh, a pastor's marriage gets out of whack, again, we all get out of whack and all that kind of stuff, but I'm talking about where it's detrimental. It's really bad. You know, sin has truly frustrated the covenant. And maybe the pastor is the one who is at fault. What does the church do? Does he continue to preach and we act like we don't know anything, even though we know everything that's going on, but he's still preaching? Or he has allegations or charges around him of of molesting children. And he's still trying to get up and preach. You know, man, we just accept anything. If we love him well, we'll speak the truth to him. But let me back it up. That pastor should have enough reverence and respect for God and the house that he sits himself down. Can I get an amen up in here? He sits himself down. Rather than lowering the holiness on the office by staying in it and he is polluted and contaminated with compromise. No, no, no. He sits himself down or the elders around him love him well and say, Doc, give me the keys. No, you got to sit down. But that doesn't happen today. People keep on doing what they're doing in God's pulpit, in God's house with God's people and they're just laced with compromise. So, Sit yourself down, brother, or the elder should sit you down because you don't want God to take you down. I still believe in a holy God. I, I, I know that we are in the age of grace. I know that. I know when Jesus was preaching in Luke chapter four and he said that, uh, you know, uh, the time of favor has come and he closed Isaiah scroll because the next part talked about the judgment of God. So we're not in the time of judgment. We're in the time of grace, especially because of the cross. But don't get it twisted. Don't use grace as an excuse to live in sin. Romans 6 covers that. And I believe God is still holy enough to take somebody out. And we have to have a holy reverence for him that, yes, we can get up on his lap and he loves us. He's adopted us. We are his sons and daughters. He he has given us a new name. But on that same lap of love, he can turn us over and discipline his children. And he can even discipline you, First John, to the point of taking you home. Amen. We don't hear a lot of that today. Amen. You see, there are times where I'm tempted. 
Yeah, I'm tempted. I'm a man. I see a nice lady or a lady, you know, that fits my mold or whatever. I'm like, ooh, look at her. And I get tempted or whatever. And I'm like, okay, I have a choice just like you. What am I going to do with the temptation? Am I going to yield to it? Am I going to ask God to help me? Let's put this thing to death. Let's turn. Let's run. Every day, all of us. And so I remember telling my wife uh, when we got married, right when we got married, I said, baby, if I ever commit adultery on you, I pray that God would kill me. I was serious. And the Bible says don't make a vow towards God if you're not serious now. My wife replied as only she can. She said, well, you better hope the Lord gets to you first before I do. (laughs) (laughs) Ministry is tough. But God never called a man into the ministry so that he could lose his wife in the process. If your marriage struggles or suffers because of the ministry, you have made the ministry an idol and now things are out of whack, out of line, and you need to get things back in line because before sin came into the world requiring ministry, Adam and Eve were together. So your marriage is first, ministry is second. You shouldn't have to lose your marriage doing ministry. If you're married to the church, you are committing spiritual adultery. And it needs to stop. And if you can't wake up to what the spirit is saying, then hopefully there are people in your circle who will rebuke you in love to say, you're out of order, pastor. Go home. Get this right. So sit down temporarily, or you may have to sit down permanently. Where's that at today? But I'm so glad I got guys in my life who will check me. See, when Reggie Pleasant was up here talking and he was talking about me, what he doesn't know is that there have been times that Jessica and I have double teamed the brother. He, he didn't even know. She'd lay hands on one side, I'm laying hands on the other side because that's how we do and that's what he does with me. And Darina can call him or anybody else in this church and say, you know what, Chris is tripping. Thank God there haven't been too many of those phone calls. But man, that's what we do as a family. No, we're not going to let this marriage fall apart over this ministry. I love y'all, but I will not lose my wife because of y'all. And if I'm doing it the right way, I shouldn't have to. Can somebody give God some praise? Well, I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to stop right there. Um, word is rich I wanted to ask some questions maybe we'll answer them next week can a pastor be divorced can a pastor be single uh, can a pastor an elder be a woman I wanted to cover it I had it all in my notes but maybe I won't cover it because sometimes I don't like getting stoned when I'm preaching but you know <laughs> we'll cover it maybe next week but one of the things about being an elder man that I love is that we are in a position to influence a lot of people And I choose to influence people for good. I want to suffer for righteousness, not suffer for unrighteousness. I don't want to embarrass you. None of the elders want to embarrass you. We don't want you in the grocery store having to defend the bad actions of your leadership. Because somebody's bringing charges against you. Well, I heard your pastor was over. They always at the club. You know, I heard your pastor was at the club, you know. (laughs) You shouldn't have to be, you know, defending Charges. We should live blameless lives where charges don't come. Or if they do come, they're not legitimate. 
you know. But I'm in a place, we're all in a place where, man, we can influence people, man, to live for Jesus. And we should be the kind of guys that you can say, man, he puts it where I can reach it. He's not some guy trying to hide behind some robes, trying to act like he's holier than everybody else. No, his feet are made of clay. He's a human just like I am. He's a sheep trusting in the shepherd as well. And so, man, when you have a pastor who can keep it real, but also keep it righteous, man, that's a good thing. And, man, I was blessed. My pastor, which is my father-in-law, he keeps it real and he keeps it righteous. He makes holiness and being blameless attainable. You know, he he lets you know, man, you can get there because he, he lets you know he's a man, but he's also a man of God. So when I married Darina, man, I mean, it was cool getting her, but getting her father as part of the package deal, oh, man, that was beautiful. That man became my pastor, and I watched him, and I studied him, and I saw that he was blameless in his marriage, in his parenting, in his attitude, in his actions, in his doctrine, in his ministry. And I said, man, not only do I want to be like that, but I believe I can do that. I just watched him. I just hung out with him. And man, I, I just, oh boy, that's my dude. And in terms of marriage, the first time I heard her dad preach, I come into Calvary Evangelical Baptist Church sometime with 19, I don't know what year it was, and he's up there preaching. And he's a stutterer, you know. And I walked in. I, I had never heard a preacher preach about loving his wife so much. You know, I I never knew, I never heard that before. He would go on and on in his sermons about how much he loved his wife. Now, I found out later one of the reasons he did that was it was a defense mechanism to keep any of the uh, uh, sisters at bay (laughs) who may have thought they could get in there. So he made it clear, I love my wife. I'm a one-woman man. But, you know, some sisters, you know, they they, they like the challenge. Oh, mm -hmm, I can get to them. But this brother was preaching one day out of Proverbs 5. I kid you not. And he's a stutterer. And I walk in. I'm listening to him preach. And he's in that part in Proverbs 5 where it says that the the wife's breasts should satisfy you all the time. I said, that's my dude right there. That's my dude. And he got to the breast part and he stutters. And he was like, and her. And her. I'm sitting on the edge of my seat, dude. Come on, man. It's already a little uncomfortable. Say, and her. And her breasts. I'm like, oh, he said it in church. He said it in church. He said it in church. But I said, that's the kind of pastor I'm going to be right there. Amen. Now, Bonnie Raitt, I, I quoted the OJs earlier, so let me close with Bonnie Raitt. We're multi ethnic up in here, we do it all. That girl got a song called. <laughs> Let's give them something to talk about. So rather than giving them something negative to talk about, about the pastor, you know, the pastor trying to use, misuse the church's money to buy another Rolls Royce. The pastor is taking advantage. Pastors preaching bad doctrine. And people are going around talking about pastors in a negative way. Not only bringing down that church, that family, but also bringing down the name and the cause of Christ. So we as preachers should not be a distraction to that message and ministry of Jesus. We should live in such ways that we don't become a distraction. So rather than talking about the negative, man, let's talk about the positive. Bonnie said, let's talk about love. Let's give him something to talk about. Talk about love. Man, let's talk about how the pastor and elders love their wives. Let's talk about how they love their children. 
Let's talk about how they love the doctrine that's found in the word of God. Let's talk about how they love to serve people. Let's give them something to talk about besides all this mess and this trash and this compromise that's out here today. Is anybody with me today? Holler if you hear me. Yeah, man. And you can live that life too. Where people look at you and say, man, I want that. I want to, mm hmm. I'm tired of compromising and living in the cracks and the corners and crevices and shadows. Man, I want to be bold. The righteous are as bold as a lion. And hopefully you can look at leaders in your church and see it. And then one day, if not already, you become that leader and say, man, look at me. I'm living blameless and it shows up first and foremost in my marriage. I'm a one woman man. Can all the brothers who agree with me say amen up in here? One woman, man. One woman, man. So that may mean, man, you're going to have to cut some stuff off. Stuff that got a little too close. Because it's one thing, you know how God makes a way of escape for you? And you know it's God saying, don't you call that woman. Don't you give her another compliment today. Uh-uh, come on now. Stop looking at her. You know, God will give you ways of escape. But, man, sometimes you got to want to escape yourself and say, Lord, mm-mm. he's giving you another chance to say, I'm going to get this right. With the help of God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you, Lord. I I stand here. And as we've been talking all week, the last thing I want to do is let people think I'm perfect or the power is resident in me in and of myself. No, Lord. um, I'm susceptible. I'm prone to wander, all that stuff, and have and do and will. But you've kept me. Thank you, Lord, that I can say that next year will be 25 years and you've kept my wife and I not only together, but Lord, we love each other. And it gets better and better like good wine. It gets better with age. Thank you that my children are coming up in a home where they see a husband and wife who are crazy about each other, Lord. And thank you for a church that get to look at Clifton and Alfreda and Daryl and Stephanie and Tyler and Teresa and John and Harmony and Aubrey and Tony, they get to look at us and say, man, Gary and Alina, oh, man, those dudes love their wives. And that makes me want to love my wife. Oh, God, put that atmosphere, that environment in this church where we love and we're committed to our wives. Thank you, Jesus. Would you bless the marriages that are hurting today? People that are struggling and, and just trying to make it who are talking divorce. Lord, let them know. Lord, divorce, you can overcome that. May they just take it out of their vocabulary and say, you know what? If we didn't build on a good foundation from the beginning, let's start over and get a whole new foundation. Let's start dating all over again in Jesus' name. Help us to forgive where we need to forgive our mates. Yeah, Lord. And I pray for our single folks that they will not compromise, that they will not grab somebody who's breathing, but not somebody that's blameless. Let them wait on you, God. Let them wait. Give them the strength to wait. Thank you. We love you and we pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 We've been Amen. We've been putting the offering at the end. Um, but see, in times like this, it's 1204. I'm about to tell you, just go ahead and leave and don't even worry about the offering. But yet, I better not do that. Because we got to pay these bills. All right. So, Tyler, come on up and let's take the offering. Yes, dig in the pockets. Praise the Lord. Sometimes when people go on vacation over the summer, so does their offering. If that is you, send your offering in while you're on vacation. 
I'll take an A if I can't even get an amen. 